Thank you, God, for all the wonderful things you've done for our life. Thank you for guiding Joshua. Dear Jesus, we love you, and we thank you for your love and your grace for us. God, Father we God, pray. I just ask that you be with the Vogel family as they navigate uh, what this means for Dear them. Dear God, Lord, I just ask for the courage uh, to be with you. It's in Jesus' name. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to warn you all from the beginning that uh, I might get into a coughing spell because I've had so much congestion and junk going, and I've had some really bad coughs this weekend. So if I do, um, just work with me. I don't think it's coronavirus, but we're still trying to determine that, all right? So anyway, you've been warned, all right? Let me start off this morning uh, with a story about a minister who had a very important medical appointment, okay? So he goes to the medical office building but he can't find a place to park. He drives around and around and around and keeps circling the building waiting for a space to open up, but nothing opens up. So he ends up parking in a no parking zone because he's afraid he's gonna miss his appointment if he doesn't. But before he goes in, he writes a little note and puts it on his windshield just in case a policeman would happen to come by. And here's what the note said. He said, I've circled this block 10 times. If I don't park here, I will miss my appointment. And then he put on there, forgive us our trespasses. Well, he goes to his appointment, comes back out. Sure enough, there's a ticket on his front windshield with a note that says, I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I will lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. Well, we've been studying what the prayer of a disciple of Jesus looks like. And the Lord's Prayer is not a prayer that was intended to be said word for word. It's the idea of what these different words represent, the greater umbrella that we've been looking at. And last week we talked about the importance of a follower of Jesus to acknowledge our past sins as we pray. Forgive us our debts. And today we're going to see that it's just as important not to acknowledge sins in the past, but to acknowledge the potential sins of the future, where we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, right off the bat, Jesus tells us that you and I have an enemy who deals in temptation. And the reason you experience so much temptation and the reason I experience so much temptation is because we have already prayed in our prayer, Lord, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And temptation is simply a way for Satan to war against any individual who's already claimed allegiance to the kingdom of Jesus. Because when you claim allegiance to that kingdom, you better well know another kingdom is going to show up and they are going to oppose that request of may what's going on in heaven be reflected here on earth. So let's do something in the time that remains. Let's kind of peel back the layers. Let's get at the heart of what Jesus is talking about here when he says, lead us not into temptation. Before we talk about what it means, let me clarify what it doesn't mean. Because sometimes 
that's a way to help us understand something as much as it is saying what it does mean. Here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, God, don't tempt me yourself. All right? Here's how we know that. Because God does not tempt. Listen to what James says about this. He puts it very plain and clear in James 1.13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Now, let me ask you something. Have your kids ever done this? Have they ever taken a test and failed and blamed the teacher? Any of you? Any of you maybe did that when you were growing up in school, right? Certainly our kids have, right? And the same thing happens when it comes to us and God. We want to excuse our disobedience on God. Well, God's sovereign and God's in control and God knew I was going to do this and God knew, you know, what, what I struggle with and he had the power to make sure that I didn't do it. Uh-uh-uh. Listen, sin is never a matter of God's character. Sin is always a matter of your character and my character. That's what it always boils down to. And James gives us this beautiful picture here, all right? When he uses the word enticed, that's the same kind of word that the Greeks would use when it came to fishing, all right? So there's this idea here that there's this bait out there, and the enemy knows what bait works for you and what bait works for me and what bait works for him and her, okay? Kind of like when you go fishing for different fish. You wouldn't use a spinner on a catfish. You use chicken livers or dough balls, right? Uh, you would use for bluegill worms or um, the little, uh, what do you call those little brown things? Bee moths, right? Um, if you were going for a bass, you'd use a spinner bait. So you've got all these different kinds of fish with all these different kinds of bait because they're attracted to them. They're not attracted to some things, but they're certainly attracted to others. And the enemy knows what's enticing to you and what's enticing to me. And he's got one goal in mind hook you now let's all be honest in here this morning okay has there not been a time in all of our lives when we knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were being fished for but we kept on nibbling anyway right and here's what James says don't you ever think that God is the one holding the fishing pole it's never God so we know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean God don't tempt me yourself. Here's what else it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean God don't let any trials come into my life, any tests. Because here's what the testimony of scripture is. God most certainly uses trials and tests to grow us into a more perfect spiritual image of his son. It's what we call sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Christ. And God uses some of the hard times and hard things in life to make that happen. And again, James makes it very clear. Listen to what he says. James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So God doesn't tempt, but God tests. And like any legitimate test, there's always the possibility of failure if the student is not prepared so God might choose to try to grow you in your life in the area of character so here's what God allows to come 
He allows financial hardship to come into your life. Again, as a means to try to develop character in you. And just as sure as God allows that kind of test and trial to come, you can be sure the enemy's going to be there trying to tempt you during that test to maybe covet what your brother or sister has because you have little and they have plenty. Or maybe God is going to try to develop your faith in you. And so he allows a season of sickness to come or, or health that's been reduced in your life. Just as sure as that comes, the enemy's going to come and he's going to try to get you to be bitterness and hold a grudge because your brother or sister has good health and you don't. Or maybe God's trying to develop patience in you. God says, the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to bring about some persecution in their life. The refiner's fire. And be sure if that happens, the enemy's going to come in and he's going to try to get you to silence your witness or deny your faith altogether. So just as sure as God uses tests and he uses trials to try to get you and me to look more like Jesus, you can be sure that every time that happens, the enemy's going to come with the bait to try to hook you. But here's the good news. God will never allow a test to come your way or my way that we don't have the capacity to pass. That's his promise. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. In other words, there's not a man or woman that can say, I'm the only person in the world to ever be tempted this way. No, they're common. They're, they're every day. The things that you struggle with, I can struggle with. It, it's nothing new. Nothing new under the sun. But here's what it says. God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, get this, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. It's not a matter of if there is a way out. It all boils down to this. Do I choose to take the way out that a loving father has provided for me? So it doesn't mean God don't tempt me yourself. It doesn't mean God don't let trials come into my life. So what do you think it does mean when we pray, lead us not into temptation? Here's what I think it means. I think it means, God, please keep me away from those self-induced temptations. The heart of this prayer is like this. Lord, I've been there. I've done that. It's turned out bad. I don't want to go there again because of all the carnage and heartache it caused me in life. Lord, don't let me self-deceive myself and go do something I know is not going to be fruitful or God-honoring. I think that's what that means. And one of the surest signs that you can tell in a person's life whether they are really developing a kingdom kind of a heart is this. That person will develop an ever-increasing kind of nauseousness toward sin and disobedience. Just that the thought of disobeying God, the thought of crossing that line just almost literally makes them sick. Maybe this illustration will help you. There was a middle school in the state of Oregon that was having a problem. Of course, a middle school has young girls who are in the process of becoming young ladies, and part of becoming a young lady is wearing makeup, right? And the problem the school was having is that these girls were bringing their makeup to the school, getting ready for the day, and they had this kind of little habit that each of them would 
kiss the mirror and put a little imprint on the mirror before they went off to class that day. So you got this mirror that has all these lipstick prints on it, even though there was a sign that said, do not do this. So this brilliant principal came up with a plan. She called all the middle school girls into the bathroom along with the custodian. She said, girls, whenever you put these lipstick prints on the mirror, you make it very difficult for our custodian to clean the mirror. She said, yeah, just show them what it takes for you to clean this mirror, how hard it is. So he takes his squeegee, goes to the nearest toilet and swirls it around in the toilet, gets it nice and full of water. Then he goes to the mirror and he streaks down and voila, all the lipstick marks disappear. Well, guess what? After that one day, there was never another lipstick print on the mirror again. Because suddenly, disobedience became nauseous. Right? So Jesus says that we should pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. Help me to develop a heart that gets literally nauseous at the idea of disobeying you. There's another really popular segment of Scripture where we're talked about this idea of God leading us. Does this ring a bell? He leads me beside still waters. Where do we find that? Psalm 23 that starts off saying, the Lord is my... So if he's the shepherd, what's that make us? It makes us the sheep. And this is confirmed in other parts of the scripture. The scripture likens you likens me to sheep. Listen to what Isaiah 53, 6 says. We all, every single one of us, nobody's exempt, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's why we need God to lead us. That's why we need you to be our shepherd, because we are so prone to wander and go astray right into the path of temptation. So God, we need you to be a shepherd, because we're like sheep. Sheep need shepherds. Do you know why sheep need shepherds? Because sheep are dumb. They're dumb. They often wander toward their predators instead of away from them. Sheep often find themselves getting caught or trapped in the most crazy kind of ways that were easily avoidable and easily they can escape from, but they don't have the brains to get out of them. And sometimes, as a result of being caught or stuck, sheep die in the strangest kind of ways. I've done a little research on this, and I actually came across a story that, was, that happened not too long ago. Here's what it says. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths while shepherds looked on in dismay. 400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in the Van province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep free to roam. The loss to local farmers was estimated at $74,000. So do you get the picture here? The lead sheep takes a plunge off the cliff, and for some reason the sheep behind him thought, that looks like a good idea. So they did the exact same thing until 400 of them stacked up on top of one another, crushing the ones below them 
but providing a kind of pillow top mattress for the other 1,100 that would eventually fall on top of them. Sheep are not very smart animals, so they need a shepherd. Horses don't need shepherds. Cows don't need shepherds. Chickens don't need shepherds. Sheep need shepherds. And of all the words, of all the animals that the Lord could have likened us to, it's not like he said, you know, we all like lions, or we all like tigers, or we all like bears. No. He said we all like sheep have gone astray. Because sheep need a shepherd. They need lead. They need a guider. Let me just give you an example of a little bit of the stupidity of Hi. sheep. Hi. What are you gonna do, sheep? What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, sheep? <laughs> what are you gonna do, sheep? Sneak up to it. Sneak up to it real quiet. You know, there's been a lot of people that I've known that are kind of typified, even myself, with that sheep with the bag over its head, right? You're just kind of blinded and you keep running into things, running into things, running into things, although you have somebody there who wants to help you and guide you and lead you, you don't let him. And that's why this prayer is so important because like sheep, I can find myself getting tangled up in things that I do not want to get tangled up in, hurting my relationship with God, hurting myself, hurting my family, hurting the people that I love all around me. And it's unnecessary because we have a shepherd who says, if you just follow me, I will deliver you. But it's not just our own weaknesses as sheep. We also have an enemy. That's the second part of the prayer. Deliver us, Lord, from the evil one. And scripture gives us some details about this evil one. We read that he's a liar. We read that he is a tempter. He's a thief who wants to steal my grace and truth and wisdom that God wants to give to me. Scripture says he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. Which is why Peter says to be on your guard because Satan roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And sheep are great snacks for lions. So we've got to keep our heads up. We've got to make sure we're looking to the shepherd. Because I don't know about you folks, but if I'm not careful, I can be like those sheep that jumped off the cliff. I can let my emotions, I can let my feelings, I can let my desires, my temptations, my lust, whatever, I can let those lead me and they can take me right off a cliff if I don't watch it. But we've got a shepherd who says, I'm there for you, I want to lead you, 
not to temptation. I want to lead you to righteousness and the kind of life that I have for my people. And guess what the shepherd's done? The shepherd's given you and he's given me some tools. He said, this is going to help you keep from falling off a cliff. This is going to help keep you from being prey for the enemy who roams around like a roaring lion. So here's a few things that you and I can do on a regular basis that can be an answer to this prayer, okay? Number one, you and I need to lean on God's word. Do you remember when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was being tempted again and again and again by the enemy? The same enemy is after you, the same enemy is after me, and every time Jesus responded to him with a three-word answer and he fled. What was that three-word answer? Say it again. It is written. Jesus knew what was in the word of God. He feasted on it. He read it. He knew it. He believed it. He lived by it. And it was able to repel the attacks, the temptations of the enemy. Now listen to me. This same Jesus, who knew what it was like to be tempted, who scripture says in the book of Hebrews was tempted in every single way you and I are, but he was without sin, the same Jesus, the night before he was crucified, he prayed a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the high priestly prayer of Jesus. And do you know who he was praying for? Want to take a guess? Who? He's praying for us. He's praying for his disciples. He's praying for those who would believe, people like you and me, sitting in churches 2,000 years later. And here's what he prays. Catch this. It's very similar to what he told us to pray. It says in John 17, I'm not asking you, he's praying to the Father here, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world because they've got a mission. I've got a plan for them. They're going to be here in this world. Here's what I'm asking you, Lord. Keep them safe from the evil one. Because there's two kingdoms in opposition. The kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of darkness. Then here's what he says, how this happened. How is it you and I are kept safe from the evil one? Here's the answer right here, the same way Jesus was. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. You know what the word of God is? It's like kryptonite to temptation. Temptation loses its power. It loses its draw. It loses whatever appealing it has about it whenever the word of God is ingrained us and we are living in the truth. That's why the psalmist prayed this in Psalm 119, 11. He says, I have hidden your word in my heart for one reason. Not so I can win at Bible trivia. I've hidden it for one reason. That I might not sin against you. Because God sinning against you, disobeying you, makes me nauseous. So I'm going to use your word as the antidote to that to make sure that I don't go down that path. And folks, listen. That's one of the reasons why as we are making and growing disciples of Jesus here at Batcher Creek, one of the things that we talk about is connecting with God daily. It's the whole reason why we're doing this series on the Lord's Prayer, because we want you praying to God daily. We want you in God's word daily, because you and I are tempted daily. So we need to have that, that defense in us that's able to repel the flaming arrows of the enemy when he tries to attack. And God's word can be that shield by which we protect ourselves. So not only do we need to lean on God's word, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. 
Listen, Jesus left the Holy Spirit for a variety of reasons, but all with the same purpose. He left the Holy Spirit to teach us, to guide us, to protect us, to help us make wise choices. But here's what I hear with people, particularly people who've succumbed to sexual sin. They'll say something like this. It just happened. Just happened. You know, I was like walking down the sidewalk one day, and next thing I know, I'm in a hotel room wearing a bathrobe, you know? Just happened. <laughs> no, it didn't. Because here's what I know about sin, because I've got some experience. Sin is always a thousand little decisions that ultimately end up in the wrong action. It's a thousand little lies, a thousand little missteps that we tell ourselves that ends up in disobedience. Sin never just happens. That's why Paul tells the Galatians, now listen to this, we make it so hard. We make it like it's rocket science. Here's what Paul says, Galatians 5, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Are you tired of sin? Are you tired of messing up? Are you tired of the enemy getting the best of you? Then listen to the Holy Spirit, because here's what the Holy Spirit's doing. It's pointing you to that door that we told you earlier that God always provides for his children. There's an exit sign behind every sin and temptation, and the Holy Spirit's the one that says, hello, right over there is the way. So Paul says, if you just listen to that, you're not going to make the mess of your life that comes with disobedience. And that leads me to my next part. Last thing. Learn. Please learn from the sins of other people. If you had a choice to learn something by shedding your own blood or learning from the shed blood of others, what would you prefer? How many of you would rather learn by your own shed blood? How many of you would rather prefer to learn by the shed blood of others? I would. I'll take that any day, okay? And here's what 1 Corinthians tells us. Paul's writing, and he's talking about the Israelites and how they disobeyed and how they were punished and, and just everything that happened because they, they were tempted and they gave in. And here's what he says. Listen to this. These things happened to them as examples that were written down as warnings for us. In other words, God, Paul says, God has given you this beautiful gift that you don't have to learn the hard way. Take it from others. Learn from their pain. Learn from their shed blood so you don't have to shed your own. So I'll tell you what, folks. While being in ministry has provided me with numerous blessings, as I've engaged with the body of Christ here at Bachelor Creek, you know what ministry has also provided for me, unfortunately? It's provided for me a front row seat of seeing people make total disasters of their life because of a sinful choice. Whether it's a husband and wife coming in to talk about infidelity now encroaching on their marriage, whether it's a man coming in and talking to me about an addiction that he's struggling with day in and day out, or whatever it is that comes knocking on my door, 
have had a front row seat to lives that became train wrecks. And you know what I do? I take really good mental notes for a lot of reasons. Because I have a wonderful wife. And I'm thankful for her. And I never want to be the source of tears in her life. But I've seen men be for the source of tears in the life of their wife. Because I've got three kids who respect their daddy. And I don't ever want to give them a reason to not respect him. And because God has given me and afforded me a position of leadership and influence in this church, and I don't ever want to take that for granted, because we got a lot riding on what's going on here, and I don't ever want to jeopardize anything that God is doing in this place because of a misstep on my part. Let me tell you something. And I'm not saying this at all in any kind of bragging or boastful way because I know what scripture says that he who stands firm be careful lest he fall but God's grace has been with me in the 25 years of my marriage where I have never been in any kind of a compromising situation with a member of the opposite sex never flirted never had a fling never been on a date night or a dinner date with somebody besides my wife never had that weird moment with a woman where things got really awkward and strange and I had to run never had that woman who could say well you know I remember that day I was with Solomon in his car alone no you don't because that never happens my wife and I have strict guidelines strict parameters that we want to protect the integrity of our marriage and she knows I never have to worry about somebody saying, hey, who was that I saw Alicia out with the other night at Pizza Hut? Or Alicia, who was that woman I saw in Solomon's car with him riding around the other day? We have parameters in place. And that's by God's grace, ladies and gentlemen. God's grace. And I'm not saying at all that I'm not susceptible to these kinds of temptations. Here's all I'm saying is that God in his grace, he has allowed me to not even be in certain situations so that I would even be tempted to do something because I've not been in those situations in the first place. Does that make sense? It's what we call grace on the front end. Here's what I realize about the grace of God. It really kind of comes in two ways. The grace of God can be on the front end, all right, that keeps me from making a mess of my life or the grace of God can be on the back end when I've made a complete mess of my life and God comes and he wipes me clean. And I would much rather have grace on the front end than the back end. And it's possible. Here's what we read in Titus 2.11. Listen to this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Listen to this. It teaches us to say no. Not going to do that. Not going to go there. Not going to entertain that. Going to draw this line. Not going to operate that way. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, 
upright and godly lives in this present age. That's as much as the grace of God as me coming to God covered in sin and God cleaning me up and making me clean. And maybe that's what we need to pray for more. Maybe that needs to accommodate or lead us not into temptation. God, give me grace on the front end so I don't even put myself in situations where I can be tempted. Several years ago, I got a call from a family whose world was completely rocked by the sins of the father. I remember exactly where I was, exactly where I was doing, exactly what day, exactly what time it was, because it floored me. And so I journeyed with this family, I helped the mom and helped the kids pick up the pieces of broken hearts and shattered lives. And I asked the daughter this last week, I said, I'm going to be talking about temptation. And I need you to share in written form the pain that your dad's choices has caused you for the last 10 years. Because hopefully it will serve as a deterrent to the men and women at this church who think that their sin only affects themselves. So here's what she wrote. Dear Dad, sometimes I wonder if you will ever know just how much your decisions have affected me. Growing up, I remember seeing your wandering eyes at the restaurants. I remember having this feeling in my gut that something just wasn't right. I remember over the course of many years, you would succumb to temptation, not just once, but many times. You would make bad choices with women, tell us you didn't love our mom, then come back and we were supposed to act like everything was just okay. You would get angry and treat us all badly because you were so saturated with guilt. We would pick up the pieces and put on a happy face because nobody really needed to know what was happening behind our closed doors. You had great qualities as a father. You coached us in sports, told us you loved us a lot, provided for us. We all laughed a lot. But for some reason, you had a weakness, and you refused to fight it. Maybe you didn't want to fight it. Finally, one day, you got in too deep. I don't know how long you'd been lying to us and leading a double life. I do remember vividly what guilt looked like the day you left. I remember the anger seeping out of you when, you, when we finally got the courage to confront you. I remember you didn't take any of the blame. You screamed in our faces. You cursed in our faces. And then you just left. We figured you'd come back and make it right again because that had been your pattern. But this time, it was different. You didn't come back. I was a young adult now, and I asked you to meet with me after you'd been gone a week or two. You didn't have your wedding ring on, and I asked you, what in the world were you doing? I bawled as I sat in your truck. You said you didn't feel like you were married anymore. I remember telling you that if you divorced our mom, don't expect a relationship with us. And man, you really missed out. My sister walked down the aisle without you. Fast forward a year, and I walked down the aisle without you. Was it worth it, Dad? 
I won't even go into how amazing of a mom I had because I think deep down you know what you gave up. Sometimes I just wonder if you had any idea what it did to me, what it did to all of us. I moved back home because I was way too worried about my mom to be three hours away. I needed to see that she was okay. As days and months went by and we tried to figure out a new normal, apparently I developed some anxiety and PTSD. Now, 10 years after that day, I have control issues, I struggle with being a germaphobe and having unrealistic worries. I overthink almost every conversation I have. I want to control outcomes of situations. Maybe it's because I couldn't control what happened to my family. Maybe it's not related. I don't know. But I just wonder what I'd be like now if maybe you just didn't give in to all that temptation. Maybe I wouldn't jump to conclusions about men so often. Maybe I wouldn't feel the need to check up on my husband's messages, even though he has proven over and over again that he is honest and faithful. Maybe I wouldn't have nightmares or have to go to a counselor or for many years have to take anxiety medication. I don't know. I do know that I can't live in the what-ifs. I just wonder if you ever thought about what all this might do to me. About five years ago, you came back into our lives. You want to be a grandpa to my babies. Life is weird. Sometimes I just have to tell myself, this is my life now. This is my reality. I'm thankful for grace and forgiveness because I desperately need it every single day. And daily, I make the choice to extend it to you. I still love you. And I forgive you. But man, I think the ripple effects of your decisions will affect me until the day I enter glory. I just wonder if you may have done things differently if you knew what it was going to do to me. Sincerely, your daughter. Our sins never just affect us, folks. They always have these tentacles, and unfortunately, the people they often hurt the most are the people we claim we love the most. Some of you might be thinking today, wow, I really appreciate the insight and the way the sermons went and the direction and the tools that you've laid out today, Solomon. But I wish I would have heard this a month ago because I've already made a mess of my life. Or I wish I would have heard this two years ago because two years ago I did something that I can't undo. And I just want you to know this morning, folks, if that's you, if you're the grace on the back end kind of person where it's needed, it's not too late. It's never, ever too late. Not even close. And you have a father who loves you. And this is the promise that he makes to you and to me. 1 John 2, 1. Hear this. He's telling this to you. My dear children, write this to you so that you will not sin. That's God's desire. God's like, I want to give you front end grace. I want to give you wisdom and insight so you draw healthy parameters, boundaries, guidelines. Do whatever you have to do so you don't even put yourself in situations where temptation is even an option. 
I want front-end grace for you. I'm going to give you the ability to say no. Whether or not you say no is up to you, but you have the ability, and it comes through my grace. I write this to you so that you will not sin. That's the goal, okay? But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Amen? He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And again, the same John writes in the first chapter of his book, verse 8, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But here it is, here's the promise. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And this is why each week we pull out bread and we pull out loaf and we pull out cup and wine and we hold them and we engage them as we remember I've got a father who loves me, who's cheering for me, who, who wants me to draw healthy parameters and guidelines, wants to give me grace on the front end, but there's a God also who's got the towel so that when I make an absolute mess of my life, he's wiping me off and wiping me up, and he's just doing what he can through Christ to present me as righteous. And I pray today. I don't know which prayer you need to pray today. I would hope that all of us would pray, Lord, help me to be a front-end grace kind of person for my sake, the kingdom's sake, my family's sake, my witness' sake. But there's some people here today who maybe you've made a mess recently. Your personal choices, your marriage. I don't know what it is. But I do know whatever it is, if we sin, we have an advocate. And his name's Jesus. And if there's something you need to pray about, if there's something that's just attacking you day after day, if you feel that bait, that lure coming after you every day, you know you're being fished for, and you want prayer for that, then I'll be in the back porch. Others will be in the back porch, and we'd love to pray for you about that today. But for now, let's go to the Lord before we partake of these emblems, okay? Father, I think it's every parent's nightmare hear a letter like that written from one of our children. So Father, I pray today for that front end grace for our church. If you'll equip us through your word, if you'll equip us with your spirit that's alive and active in us, and you'll equip us with learning from the sins of others with the ability to say no. And this is your grace, Father. I pray, Lord, for those men and women today who might have come in thinking it was too late for them. The mess has already been made. The glass has already been spilled. May they experience your grace now, Lord. May they feel the power of the cross, the cleansing of the blood of Christ 
the bread crunches in their mouth as they remember how Jesus has crunched. And as the juice flows down their throat as they remember how the blood of Christ flowed so that sins could be forgiven. I pray today, Lord, that we might feel your grace and that for every person who leaves here today, that the thought of disobedience would make us nauseous. This we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior. Amen.